Hey, did you know there's a little pink pill? Wait, a what? A little pink pill? Did you say a little pink pill? Yes, the little pink pill. You definitely need to know about this. Are you for real? Just to be clear, you're telling me there's a little pink pill? For me? That's right. The Little Pink Pill. And it's called Addy. A-D-D-Y-I. Or Flibanserin. Learn more about The Little Pink Pill at A-D-D-Y-I.com. See full prescribing information and medication guide, including boxed warning regarding severe low blood pressure and fainting in certain settings at Addy.com slash P-I. Or call 844-PINK-PILL. Good news, ladies. There's more. Addy, the FDA-approved Little Pink Pill, is also affordable and can be shipped directly to your front door. That's right. With insurance coverage, Addy is only $20 per month and $0 after month three. If your insurance doesn't cover Addy, there is still a discount program to get you the best possible price and get free shipping right to your door. So now's the time to ask your doctor about Addy. Learn more at Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I.com. Tired of fighting your kids to make their bed? Say hello to Betty's. The unique design lets your kids make their bed with just a zip. Our patented bedding includes everything you need, a fitted sheet, top sheet, and comforter in one seamless piece that zips together. Kids love the feeling of accomplishment when they can make their bed by themselves every day. Make your mornings easier and visit Bettys.com. That's B-E-D-D-Y-S dot com. And we are back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I am zero-time Grammy winner, Ira Madison III. And I am Best New Artist 1987 winner, Louis Fertel. Um, that's a reference to my girl, Jody Watley. Thought we'd start there. <laughs> she's no, she's, she's 87. 88 is Tracy Chapman. Once upon a time, I knew this really well. Mm, well, you know what? Tracy Chapman was at the Grammys this weekend. And I feel like she is one of the people that we're talking about the most. This is our Grammys episode, by the way. So we're going to be getting into the ceremony, all the things that people were talking about, including Miss Swift. Good for the Grammys, I have to say, because it felt like there were layers and layers of things that people were discussing and unpacking, which doesn't always happen with the Grammys. Yeah. So we're going to get right into the Grammys first, but we have a beautiful guest this week. As in, how did this happen to us? It's very shocking. <laughs> I think it kind of fits because we will be talking about a French goddess, Celine Dion, True. this week. So it's only fitting that we are joined by another icon of the patisseries, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, as it were, Juliette Binoche. Yes, maybe the most glamorous chocolatier of all time, I have to say. She's in the new movie, The Taste of Things, which is an exquisite viewing. In fact, I don't know that any actress has been called exquisite more times than this person. I'm sure she is downright <laughs> sick of it. I think we get into it, too. But an amazing Oscar winner. If you think of all the movies she's done over the years, everything from Certified Copy, Unbearable Lightness of Being, the Three Colors trilogy, she's just a staggering actress. If I had to put a finger on what is so awesome about her, it is the immediate sense of interiority when she gets on the screen. The minute you are looking at this woman, you are seeing a thinking, feeling person. You don't have to be acquainted with whatever she's playing in order to get it. And I'm, I'm so psyched she joined us this week. And let's just say she clocks us both. Quite. Yes. <laughs> 
usually Lewis and I are the ones surprising a guest with, oh my God, you know that film or you know that fact about me. But there are two points that I feel like she said, um, I don't know about that one. <laughs> well, she reminded me of a press cycle about a specific movie I was not aware of. And you, you will get into it because I fucking love the movie, too. Yeah, well, I mean, you weren't reading Cahiers du Cinema in middle school, Lewis? Which is crazy. You would think that was like my actual textbook that they gave me. But <laughs> So we have Juliette Binoche, obviously. That's coming up later in the episode. But first, these Grammys. Right. First of all, I want to say there was a lot of smart mouthing out there. A lot, you know, a lot of lip, mm. if you will, about okay. people saying like, oh, if you really enjoyed that Annie Lennox tribute to Sinead O'Connor, make sure to get your uh, prostate exam or whatever you need, whatever, making fun of gays for being old. I'm so sorry. This ceremony was a huge win for Gen X. Right in a row, <laughs> Tracy Chapman, Annie Lennox toasting Sinead O'Connor. Joni Mitchell's not Gen X, but her music is, I think, still a milestone for anybody you know, mm-hmm. 35 and up. They were definitely the best parts of the ceremony. And I say this yeah. really appreciating the people who came afterwards. I enjoyed the opening Dua Lipa performance. Miley Cyrus gave a great performance. Her speeches were even better. But if you came away from that ceremony not thinking, oh, those legends deserve to be legends, I mean, open the schools. Well, I would also say, and when we get into her particular performance as well, Miley Cyrus is actually maybe the only performer who was giving that Gen X legend quality. Yes. Uh, She was giving VH1's Divas Live. She was wearing a Bob (laughs) Mackie dress. Like, she really stepped into her element with the whole look, with the performance, with the sort of devil-may-care attitude that she had when she was accepting her awards, the reverence that she was paying to Mariah when she first went up, her speech about, I don't really care about this because I had a beautiful day prior to this. Like, that felt like a star. A classic star. And it felt like something we aren't really getting from current people who are performing. You know? Like, Dua isn't really at that level yet. Because let's start with Dua Lipa. She opened up the show with Houdini and a preview of Training Session, her new single. It looked good. She was actually killing it with some choreo. I love that she gets better each time we see her. Right. I love that she is truly coming from that school of, I want to improve each time. Because if you remember her during Hotter Than Hell, when she was playing in the London clubs, when you and I, we first saw her at Palladium in Los Angeles, the girl was not giving. No. The languidness has elevated to beautiful languor, which is elevating now into briskness in the choreography, even. I saw a hint of brisk. (laughs) Shantae, she is staying when, at first, (laughs) she was a sachet. Right, right. But I still want to say that she opened up the show, and she is one of the lesser topics coming out of Sunday. No. Well, also, uh, tough ask, given the amount of legends that followed. But you're right. Like, I... I think the problem is it was a good performance, but also standard, like something you would see maybe at the VMAs or, you know, the Billboard Mm. Music Awards or whatever. Whereas a lot of the things that we're talking about at the Grammys were elevated in a way where it could only happen on the Grammys stage, which, by the way, is good for the Grammys because I don't find any award ceremony easier to trash, you know, just in terms (laughs) of like who has too many awards, who's underrepresented. I'm a little astounded that Taylor won album of the year, even though... When you look at the sales and the year she's had, given that she's Time's Person of the Year and she's the only entertainer ever to have won that, it's incomparable how large she is. So it kind of makes sense ultimately. But at the same time, there is nobody out there and there is no Swifty in particular who thinks that's her best album. None. 
Okay, not unless you're one of the deranged ones um, who are sending um, death threats to people like our friend Jackson Rickett. (laughs) (laughs) He loves Taylor Swift anyway. No, he posted out that Midnight's was mid or something and got several die faggot Uh, emails the next day. (laughs) It's just so nice to know that people care getting a die faggot every once in a while. You know what? I miss that era. Okay, you know, I used to get those at BuzzFeed all the time. Oh, excuse me. The time I said Lady Gaga didn't deserve a Best Actress nomination for House of Gucci. Oh, the (laughs) die faggots came fast and they came furious. (laughs) Joker folly adieu in my inbox. Getting back to Dua, I think that Training Session also is not giving me memorable song. No, again, we we said that Houdini had fourth single energy, which is tough because it's the first single, even though it's catchy and and grows on you in the way that Dance the Night from Barbie did. Mm -hmm. I wish we'd gotten more of that, actually. Mm -hmm. Like, we got a little snippet of Dance the Night in between both of those songs, but I would have rather heard that song. But I guess she's saving that for the Oscars. Right, we'll see what happens there. I wouldn't know. I'm not behind the scenes. Why would I, Lewis, know anything about that? (laughs) Moving on. I know you got a lot of tea. Right. Um, The problem with training session also is, didn't she kind of do this already? Like, we had the, like, workout video. Physical. Yes. Slightly speedy yoga is kind of her vibe. And I think we're doing that again. This is really giving emotions beside energy. Mm, Like, it's all of these songs. Yes. Of course. And honestly, I think that the emotions besides, a lot of those were better than some of the songs on emotion. Mm -hmm. But... I still feel like every Dua thing that we're hearing now sounds like it could have been on Future Nostalgia. Definitely, definitely. And again, it's it's not like we're teeming with disco-fied music at the moment, so I'm almost embracing that we're getting these things that sound just like they belong to earlier sessions. But at the same time, repetitiveness is repetitiveness. So I can only say it's a B plus, ultimately. And there's the stagnancy that I feel like is happening within pop music in general, which is sort of why there was this backlash to Midnight's winning, you know? Because Midnight's, if we just get into the tailor of it all now, you know, Midnight's is, I would put it as like, she's had 10 studio albums so far. Uh, She announced the 11th, the Tortured Poets Department, which is coming out. The Tortured album title, yes. (sighs) I... I, I I dropped that as a major in college. Okay, <laughs> I was I said, you know what? I'm good. Let's do theater. Also, the cover isn't even giving tortured poets department. Wh- which poet is that? Sylvia Plath. Right, right, right. And also, it's like maybe it's meant to be cheeky, but at the same time, it just sounds. It's giving Tumblr. It's so the cover school. is also it's giving so high Tumblr. School. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just. We're in our mid-30s now. Can we move into, we're just legitimate writers and stuff? I don't know. I did not think it was a great Grammys for Taylor, even though she won Album of the Year. No, I. the title is giving, I can't remember the exact title, but it's giving, I came up with the idea for a play festival that I wanted to do in college once, and I remember telling my best friend at the time, a roommate, Luke, the title, and he looked at me and he said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> And that is what it's giving. If you tell someone the tortured poets department, it's giving, let's go back to that drawing board. It's giving college. It's giving college writer the first thing that they're ever like really proud of putting out there. It's a bit Baroque for her. She always has these like simple titles, right? You know, everything is red or fearless or folklore. But I will say that she did drop the song titles and the album is featuring Post Malone and it is featuring Florence Welsh. And one of the producers on the album 
is... Quincy Jones? No, probably not. <laughs> Lewis Bell, who's worked with Post Malone and has also done um, Afterglow by Taylor Swift, um, Circles by Post Malone, mm. Miley Cyrus's Angels Like You. So I'm liking that vibe of the album. I mean, I'm a poster worker. As soon as Post Malone was announced, I said, okay, you know what? I'm up. I'm sure I will actually like the album, to be honest. It'll probably be better than Midnight's, hopefully, because at least from the song titles, it seems like this is the breakup album. Got it. This is the, I'm dragging the hell out of him. Like, she has, she has song titles like, but daddy, I love him. Um, I can fix him. Um, so long, London. She like she's about to go in, right? And allegedly, it may be a play on the fact that Joe Elwin, her ex, and Paul Mescal, and somebody else whose name is escaping me right now, were in a texting group called the Tortured Man's Club. So it may mm. be a play on that. And as you know, there are no coincidences with words and numbers in the world of Taylor Swift. Oh, don't tell me. Don't tell me that, though. I know. I don't need, like, I, th- that's so uncool of Paul. Right, right. By the way, I just watched a video of him, a, a promotional video for All of Us Strangers, where he and Andrew Scott are playing a game together. I actually had underestimated how fucking huge um, Paul Meskel is. Intimidatingly He's muscular. Big. Yes. I was like, have you seen, have you seen him sit in a chair? No, right, no, the chair is like, help. Yeah, I mean, we get a lot of Paul Meskel content online, uh, if you follow Jeremy Harris on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> he is um, a one-man Paul Meskel blogger, and that is the only time you actually see videos of him, actually. So whatever, say they pop up on film updates, they're usually coming from Jeremy's Instagram, but uh, you see him sitting in a chair like for his birthday, and it was giving BFG. <laughs> and not in a Mark Rylance way. <laughs> I will say, though, so immediately when Taylor Swift won her first Grammy of the night, she went up to the podium and started pimping this album, dropped the album title and the release date. Can I tell you something? I don't know that. Yes, I am going to defend it because I do think the Mm. Grammys are explicitly commercial. Like we are all here to say, go and buy the music, you know, and and we exist and our industry is dying. Please help us. So I kind of do like that she had it prepared. I just wish... Couldn't she have been like a little funnier about it or something? There's like the way the way she pimped it. it was like she, she goes up there and she's like, this is my 13th Grammy. Have I ever brought up before that I like the number 13? Stop pretending these are like in jokes for like four fans or something. It's like the entire world is drowning in these references to your minutia. Oh, you're it's holding so Gotham hostage yes. every <laughs> other week. OK, <laughs> we're always trying to solve these riddles. Listen, the thing about announcing this album title, and this is why the tides started turning against Taylor at the Grammys, and I feel like she had a bad Grammys. She, one, is just constantly sort of oblivious to her privilege as a white woman uh, and sort of oblivious to the fact that people are getting a little tired of um, her capitalistic tendencies. And I feel like for a night that was about celebrating people like Tracy Chapman, um, Joni Mitchell, you know, and um, giving reverence to um, just the music industry in general and having these great nights for people like Victoria Monet and Coco Jones and, you know, like even Boy Genius, you know, who I don't really care for. But, you know, this is a night where it feels not like the Billboard Awards or the VMAs yeah. mm-hmm. where you would announce something like that. And I feel like that's what she announced the last time that she was, because uh, also she's done this before, right, by the right. way. Um, so it's not new and it just 
felt commercial. It felt crass. It didn't feel in the spirit of the night. She announced it, and I'm sure everyone else there is like, okay, girl. I know that the Grammys, everyone is watching it, but she is the one pop star in the world who does not need the fucking Grammy stage to announce an album and get Mm. all the eyeballs on her. She could whisper it in a restaurant and it will be (laughs) on every outlet in two minutes. Yeah. Like, we will all hear about it. You are right. So the fact that she just went up there and is using this as a moment to talk to her fans about this, it's giving... It's giving Nicki Minaj. I'm going to say it's giving Gail Weathers. It's giving by the book. (laughs) It is Gail Weathers. I'll send you a copy. (laughs) But it's giving Nicki Minaj. And I don't mean in the deranged (laughs) making fun of a woman who was assaulted by her romantic partner and then shot by him. uh, And, you know, sending your fans to um, damage her mother's grave. Um, You know, last week when we talked about the Nicki Minaj and Megan shit, some people were like, maybe they're being a little bit too light about this. I think that Megan's being light about it too. And she got number one on fucking Billboard now. Right. Like, she doesn't give a fuck. And Nikki has now retreated to doing Instagram lives of her tour rehearsals, trying to get people to come and see this show. Right. So, no, suddenly the reindeer games are being played by Nikki. You know what I'm saying? Yes. yes. <laughs> but it's Nikki behavior. It's, it's Sagittarius behavior, to be honest, if I want to get into the astrology of it. And I don't. <laughs> but this whole idea of I'm getting on stage and I'm talking to my fans in code is very... There's one way to thank your fans. Miley said, thank you for my fans because my fans have held me down and, I, and that's more important to me than having a Grammy. And because she got her first Grammys that night. Right. But there's just something about you are the most powerful pop star in the world right now. Most powerful celebrity currently, to be honest. Um, Movie, music, anything. Sports. You've already dominated sports. Maybe the most popular sports player at the moment is your boyfriend. Yeah, And you are more popular than him, you know? And so the idea that, like, hi, here's my new album. It's like, girl... We get it. Like, I'm going to buy the album. Right, right. Did you have to do this now? Like, give us a speech. Give us a speech that is funny. And when you get to the Celine Dion of it all, that is actually my main problem with the Celine Dion thing is that, first of all, people are being crazy on both sides of the coin. Okay? There are a lot of heartfelt speeches from people about how she disrespected Celine Dion, this white woman, she wasn't raised well, etc. I'm like... Okay, girl. I mean, she pays deference to people all the time. I don't think that it was an intentional slight towards Celine Dion. She didn't want to push Celine Dion off the stage. Yes. No. Okay. (laughs) If she did do that, though, I mean, it would be terrible. (laughs) Funny. I mean, funny, though. (laughs) Given how, like, everyone's kind of walking on eggshells around Celine. You know what I mean? (laughs) She's like, I've never liked that bitch. (laughs) That actually, that actually would have been a gag. That would have been a gag. You know, my dream is for Taylor Swift to sabotage the extreme following she has, right? Just to be like, <laughs> I hate these people, and now they're all, they're going to be pissed at me now based on the decisions I make. And I think she should turn to violence. I think it makes sense. You go to like an old school movie or something where they would have a recording of someone backstage. That's how people used to lose elections in oh, old right. movies back <laughs> when we pretended that we cared about elections and electing good people. Right. There'd be just a... Someone turning on her mic and it blasting across the whole Grammys. Yep. It's like, I can't stand those fucking Swifties. <laughs> They're going to go by my fucking... That would be fucking funny. But 
the Celine Dion of it all is when you watch this video, and I was doing the play-by-play, okay? You <laughs> know, I know my okay. Fo- uh, okay? I know my football, yeah. <laughs> okay? Um, unlike last week when I named someone who was no longer on the 49ers. Oh, yeah. And people said, Ira, what do you know about football? And I said, absolutely nothing, okay? <laughs> no, my own brother messaged me. He said, so does Ira not know that those people are on the team? I'm like, girl, I don't know either. Don't even bring it up to me. <laughs> um, but... When you watch the video, you see her rushing up there. She's excited, obviously, and she wants to get out there and do her speech. And that, I think, is inherently the disconnect with Taylor Swift. And maybe that is a bit of awkwardness and insecurities on her part that still pop up there when she's in these settings, even though she's been up there multiple times before and she'd already been up there that night. Her mind just is sort of just one track, right? With, I'm up here, I have to do this speech, I have to deliver it, um, and, you know, like, I'm going to say what I'm going to say, et cetera. You and know? engaged like, by I, extremely was, engaged fans. Like, she's very, yes. like, here I am to read the, the children's book to the children. Yes. Right. She, there's, there's always, there's, I believe that she loves Celine Dion. Obviously, she was singing along to the song. She knew the words. Um when Celine was, her walkout music was happening. But there's just something about, it never crossed her mind immediately in the way that it would cross a lot of people's minds. Like, Celine Dion, oh my God. And then she calls you up on stage. Like, for anybody else, I would be like, shake it. Right, I would be right. like, this, I'm meeting Celine Dion, you know? Uh, and she is giving me an award. Also, like, she's come back from, like, what we thought was near death, you know? Like, that is a moment. I will say sympathetically, when you win Album of the Year, all these people come up on stage, like the producers yes. and stuff. So you have a lot of socializing to do in that moment. You want to say hi to everybody. That said, mm-hmm. the figure that Celine Dion cuts when she enters a room, and by the way, you don't know if she's ever going to enter a room again. We don't know what's yeah. up with her, what's happening with her life. The updates are all kind of harrowing. She seems to be harrowed by it. There's like a stricken kind of fearful look just about her anyway. So I do feel like top of mind in that situation when Celine Dion is there. And I don't know, it's like seeing Jack Nicholson or something. You know what I mean? It's like, oh my God, I can't believe Mm -hmm. you're here and you're around and you're part of this or whatever. I do feel like it's hard not to be like, how did you not give her like a little bit of a moment right on stage then? But at the same time, there's so much going on. So I don't yeah. know that I can really pin it on her one way or the other, but it was questionable because she Weird. went right into the shtick of what she does. You know what I mean? Yes. So it was, it was that one, what you were watching was the one track mind thing. And also mm-hmm. she was she did make the attempt to be like, I'm I'm toasting other artists. Like, But she, it, what she did was drag Lana Del Rey on stage and Lana Del Rey, yeah. you can see in her eyes is like, you're making me a prop right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it was not joyful, that that entire moment. And then the skipping Celine was like the insult to injury. She's basically bad at improv. Yeah, right. And by the way, it's not improv. She does a lot of planning. You know what I mean? Yes. So, yeah. She's very methodical. Yeah. And I think that for her, she's unable to be spur of the moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. To be honest, you know, even when she's being cool and funny in like public in front of cameras, it still feels very much like. She's planning it, you know? Like, you saw the backstage stuff of her, like, putting the Grammy on Lucy Dacus's head of, like, this will be funny. This will be a cool photo. Or, like, Jack, you're being weird. Like, come over here. It's like it's very much like, it'd be cool and funny for me to get this photo to show that, like, we're having a good time. 
So let's do that. And I think that's where her mind goes. Yeah, and I yeah. think Lana not coming on stage at first and then hiding there, that was also throwing off because she's like, Lana Del Rey, she's hiding. Lana Del Rey was also, like, I'm going to do it like a dive roll off the stage. And she just, <laughs> she, she fully was like, stop, drop, and rolling out the exit. Right. But I think it's really just that's the combination of not being able to improv because anybody else, even the most disrespectful people in the industry, like Nicki Minaj, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> someone who's been like a psycho this past week would get out the stage. And even if you're not going to do a full like, oh, I'm bowing, like deference thing, like you get up there and you are like, Celine fucking Dion, right. clap for her. Like, and that's not even just, it's not even just like a social norm to know. I feel like it's an, it's an industry norm amongst yeah. not just musicians, anybody. You know, like if when an icon like comes out or something at the Oscars or something and you win an award from them, sometimes people, unless if it's like one of your regular contemporaries, sure. But you know, if like someone older like comes out right. and they're right there and they're giving you something, you're like, oh my God, like give it up for them. And I think also a big thing is comparing her to Miley, who did all of the things we're describing, which is mm -hmm. Mariah Carey gives her the award. And by the way, Mariah Carey, how do you not pronounce Miley Cyrus correctly? What is happening there? <laughs> she said Murray Cyrus or something. It was, it was, I was at the dentist minutes ago, whatever came out of her mouth. <laughs> but Miley Cyrus goes up there and she's thrilled and she is, definitely joking around and being funny is just a part of who she is. Like, she'll be funny no matter what. We were describing this quality last week with Nicki Minaj. Like, Nicki Minaj mm -hmm. will be going to, like, the jail for war crimes and she will be joking on the way there. <laughs> That's how it goes. Okay. <laughs> Give it one year. Give it one year. Um, but Miley Cyrus was so funny again and again while being reverent. Like, she had Mariah Carey right there. So she's doing all these things so we know it's possible. And then in the second minute, we have Taylor Swift there to compare that to. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> they got me on Guantanamo, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> the original Gag City, Guantanamo. <laughs> Obama said he was going to close down Gag City and he never did. <laughs> right, no. Another campaign lie. <laughs> Promise is broken. <laughs> But anyway, I thought people were doing too much with the Taylor Swift of it all. But I do want to lastly say that people were talking about there's this backlash coming to her, and mm -hmm. which is, is she doing this backlash because Reputation Taylor's version is coming out? Uh, I'm like, I don't think she's that calculated. Uh, like, oh, I see. She's not. No. Yeah. No. no, no. I really think that this was a unexpected, like, oh, people were dragging her for this. And I think that she got that picture quickly. Tree Payne was backstage like Olivia Pope and said, <laughs> you get this photo with Celine Dion right now and you put it out there. And it worked like gangbusters because every Swifty was in the comments of every single person. Oh, they had time? Who was I critiquing her <laughs> with that photo. They were dropping it. They like, nice narrative. They love each other. I'm like, okay, get back to the Tostitos pizza rolls yeah. in the kitchen before they burn. <laughs> and one last sympathetic note to Taylor Swift. Re-recording um, Reputation must be annoying as fuck. This came out like four years ago and she sounds the same and it's just going to sound the same. I mean, th that's a real challenge, I think, to reintroduce that album that still sounds like it could come out in 2024. Also, it's my favorite album of her, so... I think that's the one that really elevated your fandom. I, you know, yeah. that really is her art pop in terms of you either mm -hmm. committed harder or you, you you shrank a little bit when it came out. Mm -hmm. As you know, the choreography, um, which I believe was done by Julia Stiles in the film Save the Last Dance, took, <laughs> took me aback a little bit. Uh, <laughs> well, Taylor, I'm looking forward to the Tortured Poets Department. 
I'm looking forward to Reputation, Taylor's version. It's actually the one Taylor's version I have been looking forward to. I think and Fearless, too. I don't really need Taylor Swift, Taylor's version, but I'm sure we'll get it. But good luck and don't fuck it up. (laughs) All right. When we are back, there's still so much more Grammys to talk about. Vote Save America just got a facelift, and she's looking better than ever. Okay? She went on Fox's The Swan, and she came out looking great. What about Capote versus Miss Swan? They both kind of talk like Droopy. (laughs) Cricket's own vice president of political strategy dropped by Hysteria last week to talk about the strategy behind the move and share her tips for finding easy ways to get involved as we head into this crucial election year. Listen to the interview out now in the Hysteria feed. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And (laughs) I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain Mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. 
On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. All right, we're back with more Grammys chat, and let's kick it off with our um, returning Grammys host, Trevor Noah, who was looking good as usual. And I will say, I liked his Grammy stuff better this year. It was a little bit funnier, and he wasn't haranguing Beyonce the entire time. And I also think that's why Beyonce showed up for like 10 minutes. She showed up for Jay's speech. And then if you look at the tweets of people who were there, say that basically she did a meet and greet. Like there was a queue of celebrities waiting to get their Getty photo with Beyonce. And then she was like, let me get out of here. Right, right. Trevor this year without his having, because you remember last year there was this whole, if Beyonce wins, she will be tied with et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, okay. And he did that same thing with Taylor at the beginning, but he only did it once. He was giving um, the carnival barker from They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Which is one of the grimmer <laughs> roles in cinema history. Gig young, scary guy. Read that wiki sometime. <laughs> they shoot Swifties, don't they? Oh, what if we name the episode You need to that? not do that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll build my bunker today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cut that. They're definitely not going to cut no. that. They won't be dead. Um, but Trevor Noah, I thought, was was funny this time. I will say this. It always surprises me the tenor with which he hosts the Grammys because it's so different from when he hosts The Daily Show, where his tone is very sardonic and even keel. Whereas when he's hosting the Grammys, it is lounge host. I am walking around from table to table. I'm asking you about your order. Where are you from? Here comes this person. <laughs> this person can't even sit down because I'm screaming at them. It's such an interesting tactic for, a, it's like, you. Do, I don't know, you don't have to do that much. You know, we're already overwhelmed by the environs of the room. Um, I, I, I don't know why, it, fe- it feels like a nervous tick or something. I'm not sure really why he picks that literally decibel level to address the crowd with. The jokes... I thought some of them were okay. I, to me, a lot. It still felt kind of first thought, like not really super different than the Joe Coy thing. Except Joe Coy's approach was disastrous. I just feel like he can do a little less. He can do less. The Grammys don't really lend themselves to making jokes about people the way that you do the Oscars or the Globes. You know, Stan Culture runs the Grammys. Yeah, Stan Culture and musicians are thinner skinned, if you can believe it than actors, you know, because actors are at least used to that's a tradition. You know, you're lightly being roasted or whatever. You can't roast an artist. What are you going to be like? Um, well, you don't have any Grammys, Katy Perry. <laughs> we start the show with that. Yeah. First words out of his mouth. Uh, but moving on from Trevor, we already talked about Dua Lipa. SZA, another big moment of the show and another... Sort of I, a disappointing moment, I guess, her not winning album of the year for such of the big year that she had. Because if you're talking about someone who also had a humongous year, SZA really did. Yeah, right. You know, At, like SOS was everywhere. Uh, and culturally, 
I'd say she's right up there last year with Beyonce and Taylor in terms of people are talking about this album. But, you know, I feel like it's definitely more of a millennial Gen Z vibe of an album. And so, of course, the old Grammy voters um, aren't connecting with SOS as an album. That's another problem that, I mean, I guess we should address, too. Like The Grammy voters are not like the Oscar voters. They're more akin to the HFPA uh, as they used to be, in that no one knows who the fuck these people are. Right. No, I mean, and again, it's like, it definitely sways much older, too. I mean, I, I unfortunately, the definitive moment is that they would pick Harry's House as album of the year. To me, that felt like, oh, we've heard of Harry Styles. Yes, we like that one song. Yes, of course we are going to vote for him. We understand that, as opposed to knowing that the Beyonce Renaissance album was what was on all of our, like, anybody with taste was caring about that album. That's what they should have done. I still can't get over that. They also seem bitter, though. They also seem like people who vote for, vote against things because they want to put someone in their place, you know? As Jay-Z basically all but um, articulated during that awesome and very funny speech. Where he says, oh, I, when I get nervous, I tell the truth. What a funny yeah. line. Because <laughs> now everybody else is nervous. <laughs> also, the Renaissance film reminded me of it because we usually hear him rapping, but it's, it's so rare that we hear Jay-Z talk anymore. Yeah. Uh, I always forget like his voice, his vocal cadence, and just how like amusing it is to hear him talk, to right. be honest. Also, um, I really liked the way he put it, the way he kind of slammed the Grammys obliquely when he said, we want you to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically like, we know you don't have the critical faculties really to do this, so we want to help you out. In a way, good for him and good for Beyonce that he made that speech. But at the same time, it also is so awkward for Beyonce. Yeah. Oh. It's like, I don't want to stand there and watch her having to hear that she's like not rewarded yeah. enough or something. I don't know. It, it, it was feels strange. like begging. Yeah. It feels yeah. like be- it feels like she's embarrassed by it. But I will also say Swifty's being mad about this as if he was dragging Taylor. It's giving more Sagittarius behavior of a hit dog will holler because there are many people who won album of the year over Beyonce. Right. You know, and there are many people nominated and obviously Taylor and Beyonce are friends. So why would he be dragging her? I saw that AMC ad thing they did. Yes, they are definitely knowing each other and aware of each other. Certainly. Um, Man, it is just staggering that there are only three black women who've won album of the year and it's Natalie Cole, Whitney Houston. Again, that's an unavoidable album. That was the Bodyguard soundtrack, biggest soundtrack of all time, and the miseducation of Lauryn Hill that nobody has wanted since then. Not a Missy Elliott. Not, you know, I mean, just it speaks for itself, is all I can say. It speaks for itself. Right. And someone had the full list of um, people who've been nominated since 1999 uh, with zero wins for album of the year. TLC in 2000, fan mail. Beautiful album. Mm-hmm. Uh, India Ari right. in 2002. Missy Elliott, 2004. Uh, Alicia Keys, 2005. That was kind of wild to me because that album is... That's the diary of Alicia Keys, right? Yeah, with no one on yeah. it and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That album was unescapable. Mariah Carey, 2006. Beyonce, 2010, 2015, 2017, and last year, 2023. Um... Rihanna, 2012. Brittany Howard with the Alabama Shakes in 2016, uh, which is so interesting because that is also like the kind of album that um, 
they'd give it to and would feel weird, almost like a John Batiste, even though uh, Brittany Howard is so fucking amazing. Yeah. Like that would feel like one that's not within the mainstream pop culture of a win. That they would stick their neck out for because it's like legitimate music. Right. But that would have been an amazing win and a win for a black woman. Uh, Janelle Monet in 2019 and this year, um, her 2019, 2020, 2022. She has been I nominated mean, for three album of the years. This woman is a minute old. <laughs> she lives at award shows. Right. You know that. And she just lived in an incubator where she was born. <laughs> she is the phantom of the opera. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. She, yeah. All the people that we thought lived at the Grammys before, Alison Krauss, John Legend, they have been kicked out in favor of her. <laughs> uh, Cardi B, 2019. Uh, Lizzo, 2020 and 2023, Janae Aiko, 2021, Doja Cat, 2022, Mary J. Blige, 2023, and then, of course, SZA this year. All right. Well, uh, they've got their work cut out for them, question mark? I mean, like, yeah. it, it seems very crazy to me. What did you think of SZA's performance? Really good. Um, I, I would say it's sort of mid-tier in the ceremony, but again, I, she's up against icons coming back that you kind of thought you'd never see again. So mm-hmm. when Tracy Chapman took the mic, and sang Fast Car with uh, Luke, Luke Combs, Combs. Who, whose version I think is really good. I enjoy listening to it. Um, it is. And, and we, of course, praised him for the fact that he kept the pronouns in the song. I work in the market mm-hmm. as a checkout girl. One of the great lyrics of all time. Just something I want to say. And I worked at the market as a checkout girl. I mean, you just want to say it. Um, yeah. I kind of worried at first that it would be a little bit too slow a performance. But you know what the magic of Tracy Chapman is? The minute she starts singing, you lean in to hear the song. And I mm-hmm. want to bring this up as like a reminder to other people like American Idol and the world of belters has like kind of like transformed our brains into believing I'm supposed to grip my seat and lean back when I'm listening to a vocalist. It was so mm-hmm. nice to hear somebody who you could tell they come from. This sounds like I'm be- being de- derogatory coffee house culture of like. There's like a, a voice that like fills a room mm. in just a way. You know, again, it's the Dion Warwick's, the people where it's like, I'm listening to the story in their in their voice and I'm being warmed to it. That was so mm. refreshing and just something we do not have anymore. Yeah, you could hear the menthols in their voice. Yes, yes precisely. Like, like Dion Warwick. Yeah. <laughs> Who, by the way, was at the Grammys. Yes, yes. <laughs> Holding her cigarettes. And, Excuse me, and that picture? Do you know the way to Commerce <laughs> Casino? <laughs> She's like, where are the penny slot? <laughs> but Tracy Chapman, oh, what a beautiful performance. And I'm glad that this performance happened. She was so full of life, too. She loved that the people were responding the to her. The smile on her face. She has that shy Berkeley professor vibe where it's just like, <laughs> she's like, I'll go back into my white ivory tower momentarily. But for now, I'll show you that I still mm. got the PhD in musicology skills. Luke Combs oh. won me over with this grin that he had on his face of like, I can't believe I'm singing alongside her. And I think that that is exactly what the Grammys should do more of. Yes. And I mean, the Grammys couldn't technically couldn't really even engineer this because Luke did it himself by doing the cover of it. But the way that it introduced Tracy Chapman to a younger audience and you have like her fast car was like number one on iTunes now. And I think other people are starting to listen to other music of hers. That self-titled album is just phenomenal. That's the one that was nominated for Album of the Year, right? She won Best New Artist in the 80s. Yeah, she won Best New Artist. I, I love uh, the video for the title song from Telling Stories 2 that was directed by Herb mm-hmm. Ritz. There's a lot of great... Uh, the, the acapella song off her debut, Behind the Wall, that's a great song. Yeah, and it also did wonders for Luke Combs, too, because you have an older audience and 
not even just an older older audience, maybe like even a non-country listening right. audience who was introduced to him. And now I'm like, I love his voice. I love this deference that he paid to her. And now I feel like I'm going to listen to some Luke Combs. And speaking of deference, of course, you had Joni Mitchell. And I don't mean to defame Brandi Carlisle, who is wonderful, great vocalist, great writer. When I see her with Joni Mitchell, my immediate thought is like Richard Simmons and whoever that woman is who minds the gate. I'm just like, I'm, I'm concerned and I don't know the full story. OK, but she is so deferential to Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell performs. She's, uh, you know, 80 now. Uh, of course, she performed both sides. Now, I have no idea why I thought mm. she would perform anything. But when that performance started, I was worried that girl, the chair, the chair spinning around. I was like, are we? At the Tonys. Yeah. Also, is this murder by death? Like, what is this? But when she started, I was like, oh, is she kind of in control of this moment? Is it going to be too slow? Because it's like already a pretty slow song and she's even taking it down a notch. That was another performance where I was just like, wow, you are really like wheeled into her vibe and her control and her sense of authority, which has not wavered at all. It was really cool to see that. Mm -hmm. Also, I really hope people, if you want to get into the versatility of Joni Mitchell, my recommendation is um, starting with any album. This is somebody who would attack a genre and you would think it didn't belong to her at all. And suddenly she's like in the 80s with Wild Things Run Fast, a rock singer, or uh, she was a jazz artist in the mid 70s. Unfortunately, the Don Juan's Reckless Daughter Blackface photos have emerged and they are all over the web again. That is a concern of mine. That's also one of her worst albums, 1977. But I mean, Court and Spark, Blue, Ladies of the Canyon, these are all unbelievable albums. So I hope people really investigate them. I love those Blackface photos. <laughs> she, she really picked a character. <laughs> I will also say that another person who you could hear the menthol. Yeah. Okay. She's one of the original Sigfluencers. I think Joni Mitchell is the only artist in history where if you give me without any music, just her voice, I can tell you what year it is based on how smoky her voice is. Like, oh, you went down an octave? That's gotta be Help Me from Court and Spark or whatever. Or People's Parties from Court and Spark. I don't believe that her albums are on Spotify, but they are on Apple Music. So, um, Turbulent Indigo, that's one that I was revisiting uh, this week. Yeah, because that's... What, what in, the, in the 90s, she had a, a Grammy renaissance. The Grammys decided they hadn't awarded her enough, I think. And they gave mm -hmm. her uh, a couple of awards for uh, that. And that has a song called Sex Kills on it. She goes pretty hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sex Kills is a great fucking song. And the cover is a, a, like of a painting of her. It's very Van Gogh. And she did the painting. She uh, often painted yeah. all of her album covers, yes. Yeah. Giving you triple threat. Yeah, quite. Every once in a while, she'll give an interview where she's like, I'm more of a painter than a musician. Now, in that regard, shut up. What the fuck is that? But <laughs> Where's the Whitney exhibit? Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> um, and then I feel like there was one other legend. Oh, Annie Lennox. When Annie Lennox appeared and sang that tribute to um, Sinead O'Connor during the mm. tribute. Perfect pairing. Whoever produced the hell out of that. I said Annie Lennox proves that Fierce and Vulnerable go together. And her first album, Diva, which of course has Why and Walking on Broken Glass on it, remains an all-timer for me. Definitely in my top, I'll say 15. Mm -hmm. I mean, speaking of Tracy Chapman and Luke Combs, remember when Annie reached across the aisle years ago with Your Love with Nicki Minaj? Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> right. Also, there's a performance I can't find online anymore where she did a tribute to Stevie Wonder and she sang My Sharia Moore. Woof. That performance is a 10. Please go and find mm -hmm. that. I love Annie Lennox. And also, shout out to Annie Lennox being the only person this entire award season to call for a ceasefire on stage. It was really shocking to hear. I did. I mean, and, the only person. Yeah. I mean, it's shocking to hear because I hadn't heard it. Uh, there's no contemporary. Like, uh, she is the only one. 
Mm-hmm. And of course you do that during a Sinead tribute. Right. Certainly, certainly. Obviously, we love her. What about Stevie? Stevie, first of all, is always going to give you a little bit of funny, too, because he likes mm-hmm. to sit there and riff a little bit. If, if you watch the We Are the World documentary, The Greatest Night in Pop, which just came out on Netflix, you get some of this, too. He did a tribute to Tony Bennett during the In Memoriam. I will say this. If you're going to do a tribute to Tony Bennett or like do a duet with him, with old footage of him, why not use footage of him in his prime? It was like a later Tony Bennett performance. You know what? Gaga has all that footage. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, she has like the Prince vault of just Tony Bennett living. She wasn't able to be there, so no one else is allowed to touch it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, wouldn't it have been wacky to see Gaga just perched on the piano with Stevie Wonder singing a Tony Bennett song? Oh my God. Oh, that would have been amazing. Where is she? Girl, she's in the studio, oh. allegedly allegedly recording new music, but I really just think it's ADR for Folia de oh, right. uh, Joker 2, or at least music that's in it. Oh, that's exactly the correct answer. Where is she? In character. That's where she is. <laughs> but yeah, that wasn't my favorite Stevie performance, but I mean, Stevie's always going to give it to you. I've seen Stevie at the Forum. I've seen him at the Ball. Like, Stevie is... Always great. I'm glad that I've gotten to see Stevie um, perform in my lifetime, doing some songs in the key of life, actually. Oh, really? I'm obsessed with yeah. an 80s song of his called Go Home right now. So if mm. you go go and listen to that. I think he performed it on SNL in the 80s, too. Um, oh, I'll, I'll go do that now. Okay. okay. <laughs> I was go leaving home. the studio. This is actually inconvenient. <laughs> okay, what else did we get in terms of performances? Speaking of legends, uh, honoring legends, Fantasia Barino. Honored Tina Turner. And I have thoughts. Okay. Obviously, Fantasia sang down. And it was fun seeing her, you know, doing a step. Uh, It was honestly livelier than anything we saw in The Color Purple. Yes. Also, the stepping she does, like, what she does on stage is a little bit more akin to Tina Turner than most other people who'd been um, up for this gig. Mm -hmm. So, actually, that was pretty clever that she got the gig. Yeah. But... I'm tired of hearing Proud Mary. I right. It, it's so it's so it's the Dolly like Partnification of of these people where it's like you, you would think Tina Turner had two songs. That that's what you would think yeah. based on what the Grammys and what all these award shows do. Of course, Proud Mary is a good song, but it's also like a cover. It's like not actually her signature thing either. You know, you could say the same thing about Respect and Aretha Franklin. I know, but anyway, it's also from her era with Ike too. So yeah. how about something after that? Edit typical male. Come on, from the, from the album Break Every Rule. Yeah. Where's that? It's giving Prince when he died, and we always had to hear when Doves Cry. You know, and it's giving when when Madonna did that tribute, and we were like, damn, couldn't she have sent? a song that was in her range and actually like fun and upbeat. And for this, when you talk about the popularity of Tina songs too, even in terms of the Grammys, Proud Mary isn't even the highest. Like where was What's Love Got to Do With It? If we're going with her highest one or typical male or um, Fantasia would have murdered the best. Absolutely. Which I feel like has gotten a new sort of lease thanks to um, it being um, heavily featured in Schitt's Creek. Right. You know, like younger audiences know that. Or we don't need another hero. Like a full medley. Any of those. A full medley. Yeah. Yeah, That would have been nice. Yeah. Give us something. Give us educate the people even a little bit. But it it was nice to see her dancing within the crowd. It's always fun when someone interacts with the crowd. And her little shimmy with um, Dua Lipa. That was a good moment for Dua Lipa. She rose to that yes! moment. And she's like, <laughs> and, and shimmying is, of course, like what she's the Yale at, right? It's like she can do that mm. well. And she did that with uh, Fantasia. Uh, I also want to say that I love, once again, Beyonce being the celebrity celebrity that uh, Fantasia, when she uh, posted on Instagram, 
the next day, she said, I didn't even see you there, Beyonce. I was in the moment. Um, thank you so much, Queen, um, and for smiling at me. And I would love to grace the stage with you or record a song with you. So hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> Put it out there. Also, of course, Beyonce uh, has given this Tina Turner tribute before. So uh, you might mm-hmm. automatically think of her for this gig. But of course, she has done Proud Mary once and a couple of times. She was in her best Carnival Barker look. Yeah, right. Uh, just the still the white hair. She's going full country now, which really does make me and everyone else obviously think that Act Two is going to be country themed. And by the way, there better be an Act Two. Yeah. It better not be this shit that she always does where I feel like she is definitely the kind of person who when she is not feeling something, she just scraps it. Right. No, I, I, I think she could have shunted a lot of this away. Who has no, I have no idea what happened. Uh, But she's dressing so country lately that I feel like she is teasing it to us, you know, and not in an insane way, because you know what I also found out? Switchers were saying that for a minute, um, Taylor's website was down. And if you had looked in the source code for it, oh, God, it revealed like the album. And I. Who is doing that? Also, yeah, meaning what? What? Like, okay, that's really baffling. And two, it's it's time for everybody to get employed. It's time. It's time to stop. We're looking at website source codes. Okay, we grew up on Swordfish. Right. Started Halle Berry. I barely saw Hugh the Jackman, movie okay? source code, let alone this. <laughs> Not one of Jake Gyllenhaal's best. Speaking of Jake Gyllenhaal. I saw Roadhouse. Yeah. Oh, I forgot that that came out. It's coming out, but he's hot in it. It's great. I really enjoyed it. It's not campy like the original one, but it's sexy and it's good. And uh, I DM Jake Gyllenhaal yesterday and I said, come on, keep it. And he will not respond. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Good technique. Uh, The only technique we have. Great. Uh, Well, he also goes to the theater a lot in New York. Next time I see him at a show, he will be getting a tap. Oh, you're just running up to him? Like John Wilkes Booth style? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Watch out, Jake. Also, Maggie Gyllenhaal, come on, keep it. Fucking love Lost Daughter. We'll we'll get into her some other time. Now we're like Jay-Z. <laughs> <laughs> Do better, right. Gyllenhaals. By the way, when you were talking about people giving you coffee shop vocals, you know, not doing that sort of American Idol belting, what an amazing performance from Billie Eilish. Oh, uh, you know what? I stand corrected. Somebody you do lean forward to hear. I will say, I, I, I'm always kind of I like... I love this song. I, I subscribe to her, and I think she's a rad celebrity. Seems very cool, and, and nobody appreciates other musicians more. Mm-hmm. The vibe in the songs... It, I, I wonder if it's like a little bit like jazz, like I'm just not hearing all the intricacies of it. To me, her thing gets a little repetitive, but I do like the song. I don't love the song. Mm. I like the song. I like the song quite a bit. I'm, I'm glad that you at least like it. And uh, even if you don't love it, I think a lot of the anti what was I made for is, online is being a little performative. But I will say that what I like about this song is it was giving it was giving pop more. It was giving she was showing. Oh, I can still sing. Yeah, girls like I got those vocals. She, I think she was putting Renee rap on notice. She <laughs> said, all right, girl. Uh, I got those vocals too. But I just, I'm waiting for her to lean in full into that vibe and give us like, give us a pop album. Right. That will be amazing because she can fucking do it. She is a great singer. She's a great singer. And Phineas is a great fucking producer. Yeah. No, I I call them the ASM Arpenters, the brother-sister duo. (laughs) (laughs) Lost to sleep. Yes. Uh, 
yeah. So, I mean, that, that, that moment, that moment was really just amazing to me. And I think she just always kills an award show performance, to be honest. And apparently what she was wearing, that green and pink ensemble, was a throwback to the 1965, I'm not making this up, Poodle Parade Barbie. My second time using Exquisite this episode. Yes, a reference. <laughs> I just want to see Billie Eilish walking a poodle now. Oh, sure. Let's do that for an album cover or something. Also, nobody kills a photo shoot like her. She always makes interesting choices. Mm -hmm. Some other performances. Travis Scott, very satanic. That was also very, there was no vibe there. And right after mm -hmm. the entire Joni incredibly overwhelming uh, moment, uh, mm -hmm. I, that performance, I felt like I needed an instruction manual. Like, so, okay, mm. we're throwing chairs and moving right along. No idea what's happening there. Yeah. Uh, Olivia Rodrigo, who I we love. Uh, this, this was fine. Vampire, good song. Actually, yeah. this, a song that continues to grow on me. It is a really fun song. Um, mm. it, she only went medium octane with the, like, Carrie bloodshed. And I think we needed yeah. a full Suspiria thing, you know? Yeah. That would have actually killed. Yeah. You know, it felt very like, okay, you're bleeding. Are you okay? Yeah. You need a Band-Aid. <laughs> Are you are you okay? Burna Boy, I thought I love Burna Boy's look, but I don't know. And I know it's Burna Boy's. I actually really like Burna Boy, but I feel like it's this sort of vibe to just sort of like be what we got on stage. But damn, could we have gotten a single "Give It Up" for Brandy Norwood? Like I didn't even know that was her at first. Also, she came right out and. Carmen Sandiego was alive and well. <laughs> she is not in Dar es Salaam today. She is not in Peking. She is here on stage. Brandy sounded fabulous. Also, Brandy is just yeah. somebody you can safely call underrated. She has had several fabulous albums over the years. She had one like four years ago that we talked about on the show. But of course, Aphrodisiac is fabulous. Of course, mm. The Boy Is Mine is one of the great radio singles. I, I always argue the rare song where the verses are even catchier than the chorus. Yeah. Um, and he was underwhelming, I mean, in the performance. But I do love 21 Savage. Mm -hmm. uh, his new album, American Dream, is kind of all I've been listening to all week. And um, his joint album with Drake. Um, her loss was maybe the best thing that Drake has done in recent years, um, aside from, you know, slinging his dick around on that um, private jet today. <laughs> Wait, what? I missed this. Oh, there's leaked videos oh, on Twitter. No. So it's a good dick. Okay, well. <laughs> he probably leaked it himself, girl. <laughs> <laughs> After his video of work playing at a concert, and he'll say, no, I don't sing that song anymore. Y'all can sing it yourselves. And everyone dragging him or being like, okay, why are you being shady to Rihanna right now? He was probably like, let's get the public back on my side. Oh, I see. And he's like, I, 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 have, a, I have a secret weapon. Yeah, um, uh, my Yankee candle. Okay. Well, I guess his maple candle. He's Canadian. <laughs> His Mountie Candle? And we're going to go ahead and move <laughs> this along. <laughs> the last performance of the night was Billy Joel, and I didn't care. He, I mean, I will say this about Billy Joel. When he walks into a room, I mean, it's it's like the Empire State Building is there. I saw him perform in mm -hmm. 2019, and it's like you're, nothing could be more an institution in American music than Billy Joel. So it's cool of that course. he's up, and he's very like, appreciative of mu musicians like his vibe he's is funny. good his he's vibe great. is good yeah the song i mean of course i'm tepid about it but can't yeah. remember it 
It was a great song. I mean, Fred Wexler, the man who kept showing up on screen, um, who produced it with him, hot as hell. Good looking man. So thank thank you for introducing me to him. Uh, he also produced Kanye's Wolves. So, I mean, the, he escaped from um, hell <laughs> to be able to work with Billy Joel. So congrats to that. Uh, I was just like, we're closing out the show with this. We're Twyla Tharp at. Speaking of moving on. Like, can we get some dancing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, can we get some dancing? Something like it's it's just always interesting to me when the show ends on that on those moments, like a legacy moment like that. You would just rather get something upbeat. Right. I when I think of the Grammys ending, I think of like Dave Grohl um working with six other legends on the stage and they're all like banging guitars mm-hmm. out. Like you you go out on a high note, like you're holding your ears. Mm-hmm. We also got a commercial for U2 in the sphere. And I really got to see that show. Yes. Also, by the way, it's not The Sphere. It's Sphere, which is such a strange marketing choice. The Sphere sounds way better. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to keep calling it The Sphere. Um, <laughs> it does feel like they're a little bit trapped there, a la Twilight Zone episode stuck in a snow globe. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the categories and the wins, who really cares? You know, it's about the fun speeches. And, you know, I will say that Victoria Monet winning for Best New Artist was fucking rad. Yes. I loved her speech. A little long, but she was funny multiple times, which saved She it. was. Yeah. And a good story about how, you know, she's been, she's 34, you know, and how, like, she's been working in this industry since, like, 2009 or whatever and has been grinding and working for other people. And she had this binder that was collecting dust at some other place. And uh, her manager was like, I'm going to go and work with you. That's That reminds me of, um, I don't know, who was it? Who Was it Katy Perry's documentary? I think it was Katy Perry's documentary. Wasn't it, like, her a woman who was working with her was talking about how she had uh, stolen like a binder or something out of the um, record label and ran with it to go and work with her. Oh, well, we, we love crimes when they're necessary. Sure. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't know. Flowers was a big one of the night. I'm actually kind of surprised that it didn't win more at the end. But um, the thing about the Grammys we can wrap up on is that a lot of the awards do not happen on camera. Yeah. And it's like, I would have loved to see Fred again and Kylie Minogue on stage. Right. And it was a thrill that Kylie Minogue won. I mean, could anything be more demure and Australian winning your second Grammy in a career like that? It feels very polite that she would only win two Grammys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Padam Padam takes me instantly back to like Fire Island in this past summer. Um, it's not my favorite song of hers, but it's it's just so nice that she had that kind of like kitsch moment in front of everybody where we all got to reevaluate that she is so consistent as a pop star. Um, and I, when I saw her in Vegas a couple weeks ago, she sounds better than ever. She, I mean, it sounds so obvious. She's, she's like Harley Rae Jepsen. The people that know her, know all of her songs, like them all truly equally. And then she performs them and she sounds better than she does on the record. Okay, I gotta see that too then. And Mariah Carey announced a new Vegas thing too. Yes, um, which... I think I would go and see. I I wonder if it would be different than the number ones thing she did or whatever, like what her strategy would be. She's somebody who's very interested in bringing underrated things out of her catalog, I think. So Mm -hmm. I feel like, I hope she makes interesting choices here. She, when I saw her holiday show in New York at Madison Square Garden, there was a segment where she did a bunch of songs, uh, throwback ones, and some of the Emancipation ones that she picked and EM equals MC Squared ones she picked too were unexpected. So she does love to throw out fun things for the fans. Yeah, right. Well, of course, she like wrote all of them too. So if, if if I had an ego and I were Mariah Carey, 
scary. I'd say, well, I wrote all this shit too. You better understand that. Yeah. <laughs> Last comment too. Oh, Miley Cyrus, such a fucking star. I loved her moment when she said, um, don't act like y'all don't know the words to this song. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of comments she stuck into the song as she performed it, she was having such a fucking blast up there. The comment about, I didn't forget anybody, but I did forget my underwear. I mean, just like, come on. Well, you know that was Shade. To? Her father. Oh, I see, I see. Yes, yes, yes. There's, There's been, you know, like a split between the mom and the dad. Like, I forget like the whole drama of it, but she named everyone except for um, Noah and her dad. And then said, I don't think I forgot anybody. Love that. Except my underwear and then walked off stage. Cute, cute. Uh, and also, by the way, shout out to the fact that she looked exactly like Jane Fonda in five different eras <laughs> of her career on that stage. It was Barbarella. It was the China Syndrome. Coming home. Coming home. It's accepting the Oscar for her father, Henry. It's L'Oreal campaign from the 2010s. It really was a retrospective of the greatness of Jane Fonda. Let's get her in a movie again. Yeah. Let's get Miley in a movie How again. About the two uh, of them? Yeah. Yeah. Jane Fonda, after 80 for Brady, said she wouldn't do any projects unless they were quality. Crazy. Uh, So let's get them (laughs) together. Yeah. (laughs) They are, they are sort of giving like the um, Kiki Palmer, Angela Bassett. Yes. They're Mm. both sort of, you know what? Ding, ding. Big, big business with all four of them. Remake. Nothing wrong with big business. That, that needs to be taught to the teens. You you want to see Lily, Lily Tomlin and Bette Midler not only playing twins, but wearing wild shoulder pads welcome to heaven yeah uh mothers and daughters mash up uh also were you not afraid of what might fall out of miley cyrus's purse when she opened it on stage and was dangling oh yeah because you know she's a rowdy girl <laughs> i was like girl what's up in there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just bottles of fireball fall out <laughs> And last comment about the Grammys, we talked about Celine Dion and Taylor, but Celine Dion looked fucking amazing. Law Roach came out of, quote unquote, retirement. I feel like Law Roach has worked so much for someone who's allegedly retired. Uh, He's Cher. (laughs) 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 He's always doing a comeback tour, but she looked great. The Bob? Oh, please. Nothing wrong with a Bob. Margot Tenenbaum. That was, uh, it was looking sharp. As in like, ow, I hurt myself. Yeah, um, but let's segue from that French royalty into Juliette Binoche. We will be right back to talk to this living icon. I live by routines, especially my same-day delivery routine with shipped. Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at Shipped.com. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, 
things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. We are honored to have this guest here today. She is a renowned actress the world over who's worked with legendary auteurs like Jean-Luc Godard, Andre Teixin, Claire Denis, Olivier Assayas, and Christoph Kieslowski, among others. American audiences know her from her classic films like Chocolat and The English Patient, affectionately known as La Benoche in her home country of France. We're so lucky she's back on our screens in the incredible vulnerable new film, The Taste of Things. Please welcome to keep it the magnificent Juliette Binoche. <laughs> what a presentation. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is exquisite. As This is the only word to describe this movie, but I could not believe watching all the intricate camera choreography in this movie, all the amazing glimpses of the food, all the amazing acting, that you only had a day of rehearsal mm -hmm. before actually shooting this movie. And then I thought, is that something you actually prefer, going into a movie with no rehearsal? Yes, but before that, we had some uh, videos where we could see how the cook, you know, how the chef was preparing everything. Mm -hmm. So memory-wise, we had it in, well, I had it in me. And after that, it, it was just a matter of organizing and who was doing what, and we had the right hand of the chef who was there to help us, you know, direct whether, you know, the some of the gestures were not right, and we had to also uh, follow the, the rhythm that the camera was, you know, looking at things and traveling as well, because it was mostly like a big brush, you know, going around, and so we had to... Uh, to organize it the, the, the day before shooting, uh, how, who was doing what, and the pace of it all. I don't think I've seen such intricate cooking and food displayed like this on screen. Maybe said something like Babette's Feast, which also showed the making of a French dinner. Just want to know, what is your relationship with French food? Like, was this, were you coming in watching these videos being like, I absolutely have no idea how food is prepared this way? Or were you familiar with it just over the years of living in France? Well, as a mother, I've been cooking and, and you know, in France, we cook because it's part of our way of living. Mm -hmm. And I'm not intimidated in front of veggies and stuff, you know, and, and a stove. <laughs> I, I just put my hands into it and it's part of what it is. And, and as actors, you know, you've got to throw yourself into it. And in cooking, you do something before and you do something after. And, you know, there's a chronology you've got to respect. And that makes at the end of it, you know, a whole kind of amazing dish because you know the, what comes after what. You know, it's really about that, cooking, exquisite cooking. I, I, that's, you know, how I took it anyway. And I had a wonderful person telling me, no, do it more like this or like that. And that's easy. You're just following the steps of uh, the person who's helping you. I would cook like that every day for sure because it would take too much time. And I love cooking. I love eating. But not, I'm, I'm not passionate enough to spend as much time. <laughs> One of my favorite things about this movie is just watching you react to the food you're eating. And how much of that is your genuine reaction? And how much of that is you having to add something that it, you're not experiencing as you taste the food? 
you know, it blends together. As an actor, you don't know what, you know, you, you're being real and truthful to the moment. And what's in you, you know the story. But I think if I remember well, because of course I forgot almost everything, but um, if I remember well, I, I did genuinely react to what I was feeling because the food was amazing. And whom the director really wanted us to have the experience of exquisite cuisine. So that was the challenge of the first AD and the director and everybody and the right hand of the chef uh, to prepare it just in time so it was coming at the right temperature. And also good food, you know, you eat it just after it's been cooked. You don't wait for hours, you know, before eating it, if you see what I'm saying. I recently had the chance to see you again on a big screen Friday in New York. They were re-showing your film, Let the Sunshine In by Claire Denis. And I just wanted to ask you a bit about what it's like working with particularly French directors. What sort of sensibility you think that happens on set or in the direction of it that's different from American productions? I think the expectations are probably a little different. I would say, because maybe in America, in the U.S., there's a sense of uh, the results, you know, of making, having success and making money. It still exists in, I would say, in Europe and in France, but it's not the expectation, I think. The quality of films counts more in a way to start with, because I think that's the way we are trained in our minds, something like that. I don't think when Claire Denis is working, uh, she's thinking, is it going to have success? She doesn't care. And me as an actress, I feel the same. I'm more into the moment, in the present moment, what, what to try and find a truthful way of telling the story, which is true as well, of course, in America. But I think there's behind it, there's the, the need of, of money is probably because you don't have the help we have in France, money-wise, with the uh, productions. You know, there's, uh, there's a whole system that cinema is being supported by the government. There's money for few films, you know, a year to uh, get going. So there's some help. And I think because in America, you don't have help. If your film doesn't make any money, you cannot do another film. As in France, we don't have that because if it's quality in the film, you will be helped. Yeah, I mean, I even think of Three Colors, which you start in the Three Colors Blue, being specifically a commission for France and about what France stands for. And I feel like that is just so different from what we would expect a film to be made for in America. I don't know if it was a commission. Mm -hmm. Maybe I don't understand that term, but... It was just uh, the producer, Marine Karmitz, who wanted to have Kislovsky, working with Kislovsky. Mm -hmm. And he wrote three scripts and it happened. But it was the idea of Kislovsky. It was not, you know, sort of an idea to put France into uh, on, a, oh. <laughs> on a pedestal at all. It was just uh, three stories. And uh, yeah, and Kislovsky wanted to work in France. And I remember when we were working, he just wanted to do just one take for each shot. I was asking to do another take because I wanted to explore it. And also uh, I wanted to uh, make it better. 
And I had to bargain with him every single time because he was ready to do another take when there was a technical problem. But, and I asked him, why, why don't you want to do another take? I don't understand. He said, well, because in Poland, I only did one take because film is expensive. You don't do a second take. And also on the editing room, it's easier because you have only one choice. I said, but you're in France. You can do many takes. And so we we laughed about it as you you are laughing now in, in order to, uh, you know, but I had to fight a little bit. I have to bring up the fact that in this movie, The Taste of Things, your main co-star is your ex-partner, Benoit Magamel, and you have a child together. And I didn't realize until I saw the screening in your Q&A afterwards last week that you had sort of spoken over the past couple of decades, but not really. I cannot think of another situation where actors have reunited in that way on the silver screen. Like, none are coming to mind. What was that filming experience like? Was it at all, I don't know, healing? I don't know what the word for that would be. I really took it as a gift because we could express emotions through someone else's words and it felt wonderful to uh to not being stuck you know in not seeing each other not speaking to each other to be able to go into a movement of expressing you know through a medium you know the art of cinema and and being able to uh, be next to him and and tell a story a beautiful story. And on a certain level, it was healing, but it was mostly healing for a daughter. And that was for me very important to make it happen. But it's life giving this gift to us, you know, it's beyond expectation. It's beyond, I, I never thought I was going to work with Benoit again. So it was a great present. Mm. And you've had the gift of so many brilliant co-stars that you've acted opposite of, so many brilliant directors. What would you say have been some of the best acting gifts that you've learned or picked up in your time from your first film to where you are now? Like, has your process changed? Has it stayed the same through each film? Or do you just sort of switch it up depending on what kind of project it is? Well, you ask so many questions in one. <laughs> you know, and it would take a little more time than, than than what we have, you know, to answer that. And I, I would have to think about it. Yeah. I have to say, I never prepare the same way mm-hmm. because uh, it's my way to deal with it because it keeps it alive. And I don't anticipate in knowing how I'm going to prepare. I just, my needs are coming real to me just when, okay. I'm going to be shooting whether it's two weeks or whether it's three months or whether it's a year. So depending on the, you know, the time I have before shooting on this one, I didn't prepare because, uh, well, for two reasons, because I knew Benoit and we've been cooking together before in our lives. And also I did some period films before, so it was not like a new thing. And also cooking, I've been cooking my whole life. So it felt like I've got to go into it, you know, thinking that it was going to happen. And I think for this film, what I chose to do is to retrieve, to go away in a way to let things happen by themselves, confronting Benoit, confronting the making of food, confronting whom's expectations. And so for me, it was more like letting it open, letting it be, let it be 
what it is without being willful or thinking too much or, you know, I want it to be alive and it's so magical, if I may say, if it makes any sense to you. Mm -hmm. Also, because before starting this film, I was preparing Chanel, that's the TV show I did afterwards. And it was a lot of work for me to do because our energy is very specific. And I also had a lot of books to read because so many books has been written on her life. And I was starting to shoot the TV show for seven months, a month before. So I just finished The Taste of Things. And then I, a month after, I was studying the Chanel TV show. And it was like such such a difficult thing to do for me. Uh, then I thought, okay, it's almost the same period of time, but it's totally different. You know, it's a different take on everything. You know, uh, the Eugenie I'm playing in The Taste of Things, there's a serenity that goes with it, yet there's death that goes with it. There's this long-lasting relationship. So the layers are very kind of peaceful in a way, even though death is coming. Uh, but then the need of giving life, the need of excelling you of what she does, which is cooking, becomes stronger in a way. So it was not simple, but it was clear in my mind. So I, I just wanted to let it happen in the jump of not knowing, which I love as actors, because it's always should be like that, that you don't know what's going to happen. As Chanel, it was a long train, you know, trip, <laughs> the seven months uh, shooting and, you know, having the script that they were coming one after the other. So I'd never really been on this kind of roller coaster of shooting. I was just rewatching Clouds of Sils Maria, which if people haven't seen mm. it, is with Juliette Binoche and uh, Kristen Stewart and Chloe Grace Moretz. And that's one of the few movies I've ever seen where I kind of got the sense, and this may be artificial, that I was getting a glimpse inside the mind of what it's like to be an actor. And I watching that back, was there anything vulnerable about playing an actress? Because you're the kind of person we want to play an actress because there's such depth there. We just want to understand it. Right. But I was playing an actress who had uh, ego issues. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was um, quite pride. <laughs> there was a pride to deal with. And so um, so that was fun. It made it a, a little more t a twist of a comedy feeling, which was, you know, that we didn't discuss that with Olivia, but I thought it was the ego is so expanded in a way, you know, the narcissism can be really in a in a very um, dangerous place, <laughs> if I may say. Uh, so it was fun just to encounter these big questions with the age coming and, you know, the assistant coming to her life and, and being a mirror to her own life. So it was fun to play. It was fun to be also... Uh, working with Kristen and Chloe very much. I would have to say one of my favorite roles of yours, I just finally saw the film Rendezvous, but it's such a wild character in film too. And I was just revisiting some of your earlier work too, like the characters that you were playing. How do you feel looking back at these roles now? And is that something that you feel like you would still like to experiment with? Or are you happy that some of those wilder roles are in your past and you're happy to leave them there? Well, that was like 40 years ago. <laughs> and um, it was my first chance, you know, and I, I just jump into it 
were, first of all, because André Téchiné at the time was like the director and he was working with young actors and revealing a lot of young actors. And so I jump into it at the same time. It was rough because there were a lot of nude scenes, you know, and, and, but when I saw the film again, not at that long time ago, it was rough. There was something that was not mature yet, of course, because I was so young, but, uh, I wish I could replay that. <laughs> <laughs> so you would replay? No, I wouldn't. It's done. I wouldn't go back. <laughs> okay. <She's done>. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like your clouds of Sils Maria character. Like you don't, you wouldn't want to replay a role or do something in a stage show that you've done before. No, because first of all, the years of the twenties in my life have been the most difficult ones. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want to go back to learning what it feels like to uh, be, you know, abandoned or what it feels like to feel jealousy or what it feels like. Not that you don't feel that afterwards, but the first times are bigger than afterwards. So the separations or falling in love and feeling betrayed and all that stuff, it's so hard. And you've got to learn the lessons, you know, you've got to learn what it feels like in order to change and change your values in a way. And and so acting-wise, it's the same. It's you're learning. You know, I've been miserable on damage. I've been miserable on Les Amants du Pont-Neuf, Lovers on the Bridge was very rough to do. Those years have been, you know, trying to survive, trying to evolve. And, uh, you know, I lied and seeing the consequences of lying and, all this stuff you're learning, like playing the piano of all the notes as a human being. And so when you come out of this a little bit, it feels so freeing. And so no way I'm going back to that, that glue of emotions. <laughs> <laughs> that, you just brought up Damage, which is literally my favorite erotic thriller of all time. I think the acting is amazing. But you, as people can't see you right now, you, you just reacted with... But it looks like horror to me. <laughs> no, it's rough. Why? You went through the film, but you didn't read my interviews at the time. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, it was hard to play with Jeremy Irons, but I've said that many times, probably too many times. And I want to turn the page now. And it's already turned, you know, because I we spoke with Jeremy, but. Probably I was horrible to him, you know, on the other way around. I don't know. But for me, it was very hard to work with him. And Louis Mad, who was the director of the film, was very oblivious of what was going on. And so uh, he was going through heart issues and health issues. And so I was just disappointed, but I couldn't blame him. But I felt very much by myself. Uh, no, Rupert Graves, the actor who's playing my son of Jeremy, was just wonderful to work with. And he, thank God he was around and we could, you know, laugh and enjoy the work. Uh, not that many times I've been through that kind of a nightmare. So, but it's true uh, that sometimes it happens and you've got to learn how to still be on the work and still, you know, carry on. and. And love doing what you're doing. Yeah. Because it's an interesting situation being an actor. You because it's 
you've got to use your being. You've got to use your ego. You've got to use everything you have in possibly as a human being. And yet you've got to give yourself in a place that has no ego. You've got to give your soul. That really makes me think of Miranda Richardson's speech in that movie a lot differently, though. When she's like excoriating him, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe that comes from a genuine place. Who knows? Okay. Mm. No, you got, you've got to give your soul. You've got to give your, your, your being, your body, you know, when it needs to be given. But yet being cautious that it doesn't be taken in a place that it would be not for the film. Mm-hmm. You really needed to have the sense, you into, use your intuition so strongly because you need to be respected, but you've got to give yourself entirely. That's the, that's the equilibrium that is difficult to, uh, to find. On the opposite end of that spectrum, then, is there any scene partner that you would say that you've worked with where do you feel like that is truly one of the best working relationships you've been able to have on a film? Like you remember it very fondly? I would say, apart from two uh, actors who were very difficult to work with, and I name one. Most of the time, I really enjoy working with the actors and actresses I've been, you know, bumping into in films. I've it's been it's been mostly the love of sharing because it's really about that. Mm-hmm. You know, throwing yourself into the moment of sharing, even though they're you playing conflicts and all. It's the trust you've got to give each other and the love you've got to share because it's all about you know giving to the world, giving to the audience, giving to a hint of uh, awareness, of evolution, of giving emotions so people can feel, linking different layers of yourself so people can take this in their lives, in their soul, in their heads, in their, you know, hearts. It's really why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. Because if it's only uh, egoistical reasons, it doesn't go far. It's not worth it. You were nominated for a Tony for one of my favorite plays, Betrayal by Harold Pinter. What is your relationship like to acting when you are performing for people every night on stage as opposed to just doing it on a film set? You know, what's great about acting is good luck. It's like wine, you know, it needs, in my opinion, years are helping you to go deeper and deeper. And uh, when you hear Glenn Gould, you know, playing Bach at the beginning of his life and towards the end. It's really, he would play the same things, but totally differently. And it it really tells you how much of maturity you need. And I think for theater, it's even stronger in that way, because it's not only you giving to the audience, you receiving from the audience. And the dialogue that is happening in silence somehow is really... The moment, because I think in the present, inside of the present, and and theater is about present, being present in the same at the same moment together. There's a transmission of something magical that, but that's within the silence. So it's not only the acting, performing, and showing off, you know, what he wants to do and what he wants to show. For me, theater is not that. It's about uh, something that's going to happen together. And it, it's within this silence of, okay, we listen to something different. And I think the audience is creating the show as well, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. In the cinema, you cannot have that because 
you can have that with the DP, with the crew, with the, you know, with the director, because it's happening in that moment, you know, and it's being filmed. In the theater, it's the present time. It's a different deal. And so there's something that is so intoxicating because of that co-creation of that, you know, uh, together in that present time. And I think acting is really the art of present or any art should be the art of present. What does it mean to be really present in the moment? That's for me, that's the real question. Before we sign off, I just want to say you winning an Oscar does not begin to scratch the surface of your talent, but your speech you gave where you acknowledged Lauren Bacall, who at that time was like considered a front runner to win, I thought it was just one of the classiest moments ever at the Oscars. And it's like, it's cool to watch that speech back. And by the way, if people haven't watched The English Patient recently, you I mean, it's just a scintillating performance. So congrats mm-hmm. on that whole era of your life. Oh, that's kind. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was going to give it to her because... Also, you thinking back, you know, uh, those actresses or actors who have been working their whole life, you want to give a special prize to them, you know? And because I do, I couldn't see her. She didn't raise her arm. So I thought, okay, then I'll, I'll keep it. <laughs> that's what I, you know, that's, you know, that's what I was thinking in me. I was thinking, okay, okay then I'll keep it then. Uh, but it's... Um, at the end, she came to me and she said, well, you stole my prize. <laughs> <laughs> and I said to her, you didn't want it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here, Julianne. It's always just a pleasure to watch you on the screen. But it was a pleasure talking to you today. Yeah, I'm happy to. Thank you very much for having me. And The Taste of Things is out this weekend. So make sure you go and see it. When we're back, keep it. Okay, we are back with our favorite segment of the episode. Keep it. Lewis, what's yours? Okay, so as I brought up earlier, there's this new Netflix documentary called The Greatest Night in Pop, which is about how Lionel Richie, Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones put together We Are the World, which as a song, I'll say it's in the A minus B plus range. You do have to like gulp a little bit while singing some of these lyrics, but it is an incredibly (laughs) catchy song. And it's, of course, in the tradition of, you know, Band-Aid, Do They Know It's Christmas. Talk about another song where if you look at the lyrics, you're like, oops, embarrassing. Oops, we need to not be talking about people in Africa this way. Moving on. Do they know it's Christmas? Do they have calendars? (laughs) Right. It's it's a crazy song. It's a crazy song. Um, But anyway, like a lot of these documentaries that are coming out on streaming recently, you know, the Bee Gees documentary, the one on Donna Summer, etc. It is just toasting these people like you're it's not really critical. You're not getting the sense of like this is going to be winning Oscar or anything like that. Mm -hmm. That said, it is so much fun to watch. This come together, people agree to the concert. They're they're going there after the AMAs. So there's this trickling of people from one ceremony to another. Mm. You watch as like time is going by and people are getting restless and they order chicken and waffles for everybody to eat. Um, so there's there's a lot of fun, uh, fun like anecdotes about being there. And by the way, Lionel Richie, who I guess has just been 51 his entire life and remains 51. It's crazy to see him just standing there being the same, sounding the same. The richness of, of his voice is not. He really looked fun. so good at the Grammys. Yes, he looked amazing. Um, that said, watching this documentary, they did not address a number of things. 
that I'm oh. that I find problematic. And those three things are number one, you're telling me you got Bruce Springsteen to do a talking head for this documentary and you couldn't find Kim Carnes. Where is she? Where is Kim Carnes? <laughs> It's been a million years since we've seen this woman, the Grammy winner for Betty Davis Eyes, former new Christy Minstrel with Kenny Rogers, also part of uh, We Are the World. Where was he? Two, no explanation for the fact that Dan Aykroyd is just in the background of We Are the World. We just don't know why he's there. <laughs> they don't bring it up. I guess it's awkward for everybody. I have no idea. But of course, this was 1984, 1985, where he's like one of the biggest stars in the world. But speak to that moment. I want to know why he's there. And lastly, they have all this awesome footage of Michael preparing for We Are the World and like doing a couple of takes and talking to the engineers. It's really cool and shocking to see. And of course, he's in an imperial thriller mode. So he looks like the very picture of the biggest celebrity of all time. And you're not going to address that LaToya is in the room. How did this happen? You got to explain how LaToya got there and also what she contributed to the record, because I'm not really hearing it on the record. You know what I'm saying? Does she have a talking head? No, she's not there. Mm, you know what? She, <laughs> she's still in Mr. Trump's office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to win the apprentice. Right. <laughs> Looking like Casper the Ghost. Yes, right. <laughs> what an amazing season of television. Jeannie <laughs> called her Casper the Ghost. <laughs> oh, my God. Also, I will say the one moment of self-critical reflection that occurs in the movie is Sheila E. is does an interview, and she talks about how they got her in the studio, and then she felt like they were using her to get to Prince, who, of course, never shows up. But I just want to say about Sheila E., not that she needs this encouragement from me or anybody. Mm -hmm. At the AMAs right beforehand, she gives a performance that is so legendarily electrifying. Please look up this performance. What? I mean, there is no second one of Sheila E. I know I give that compliment all the time. The drumming, the stage presence, the stage wear, the... She's a, a virtuoso. There's there's a reason Prince was obsessed with her. There's a reason. Mm -hmm. There's a reason Bruce Springsteen named his band after her. <laughs> and the Sheila E. Band. That's right. Yes. <laughs> they lived on her street. <laughs> We're Sheila's boys. Uh, that's really all I have to say. I, I found it really entertaining. 90 Minutes uh, gets you acquainted with the fact that when We Are the World premiered, it was on every radio station in the world at the same time. So you would turn it on mm. and then turn to another radio station. And, you know, it's like War of the Worlds or something. It took over. So we have not had a moment like that since. Total monoculture. But did they have the radio in Africa? <laughs> they brought their first radio. <laughs> uh, do they know We Are the World is playing in Africa? That would be a great follow-up <laughs> single. Do they know We Are the World is playing? <laughs> okay. I have, I actually have, Two keep it, to be honest. Okay. One's a short one. All right. One is a very Lewis coded. Okay. So I just discovered connections on the New York Times. Ah, this is a game involving four sets of words. There's 16 terms on a grid, and it's your job to group them in terms of connected groups of four. And sometimes there'll be five things that fit in a group, but only one that fits in another group. So anyway, it's a word game that you sort out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like it. I feel like I want more from it. Mm -hmm. the, just, just the the four groups of words that you're figuring out. I'm playing it, and then it's either, okay, I haven't figured this out, and then it's like, okay, the game is over. Or it's, I want another way to be communal with the friends and figure out, like, who's playing it with me or something. Maybe you can compete with your friends at the same time and see who can get it fastest or something. Yeah. I did it at dinner once, um, but, you know, it's, it's um, I don't know. I like the game. I kind of want just more versions of it, to be honest. It's not a real keep it. I like the game. I just want more of it. But I feel like you have thoughts about it as a game 
person. Well, I mean, there's a controversy around connections because mm. the game show I constantly talk about from England, Only Connect, which is a game show mm. where you have to figure out what four seemingly unrelated things have in common and you and two teammates mm-hmm. sit there and try to solve it on camera. The second round of the game or the third round of the game is connections. They stand in front ah. of their wall with 16 terms and have to divide them into four connected groups. It is fair to say the New York Times basically just stole it, as in the font is the same. The look of the bubbles oh. is the same. And in fact, the host of the show, Victoria Corin Mitchell, messaged the New York Times and said, are you aware this has been on television for 15 straight years? Oh, okay. The the lying New York Times. Yes, right. It is very jarring. I mean, like as all only Connect fans would point out, it, it's it's not mistakable. If you if you have mm-hmm. ever seen the show, you know this is exactly how this goes. I think the New York Times responded with something like, "Well, you know, there's no patent on grouping things together or whatever." It's like, yeah, but it's the same game it, down to once you're down to two groups, you only get three chances to figure it out. Like mm. it's the same thing. Mm. The gray lady sounds like the shady lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's your other keep it? Okay, my other keep it uh, is Bravo related. Okay, um, you code so, it. So yes, uh, well, actually, a little bit um, related to you. You know who I'm about to talk about? Yes, Candy Burris is exiting the Real Housewives of Atlanta after 14 fucking seasons. Jesus Christ! On the show, basically, what's happened is last season wasn't great. It had been like a couple sort of iffy seasons, but last season was just sort of like a bad season of the show. The show is going to be rebooted. Andy Cohen has promised that it's going to be a stellar cast. It's rumored to be led by Kenny Moore and Portia Williams, who has been on this show um, before I interviewed her. They're going to be leading this new era, probably with a largely new cast of women. My keep it, however, goes to... People who have been pretending like Candy didn't contribute much to the show because in the last few seasons, definitely post-Phaedra leaving in season 10, Candy's sort of been this elder stateswoman. You know, she's not really contributing a lot to the drama, but she's been a person who's there and grounds the show. There's just been a lot of people pretending like Candy was boring, Candy wasn't offering a lot to the show. And I'm like, Candy absolutely was the Real Housewives of Atlanta in the same way that Nene was. You know, there aren't a lot of one-liners that you're throwing out from Candy, but she definitely had fun, dramatic moments. It's season two when she was on the show. She was dating someone named AJ. He died before the reunion. Even I knew was that. Killed. Yes. Yes. Was killed before the reunion, and she still went through with that reunion, like put her whole life out there for people to consume it. She fell in love on the show. Her current husband, Todd, used to work for the production company that was making Real Housewives of Atlanta. So we got to see their love story blossom. Mama Joyce has always been a staple of the show. She's had spinoffs. She's never backed away from drama on the show. She's had a lot of iconic, funny moments with Nene. We see each other fight, fighting with Marlo when Marlo was always coming for how she makes her money and being a sugar mama to her man, Todd. I just think that Candy Burris has been an icon before Real Housewives of Atlanta, but also she helped make that show 
what it was. And I think that, you know, people should put more respect on Candy Burris's name. Oh, and also ASCAP Songwriter of the Year winner? Please, there should be different okay. versions of respect on her name. Come on now. She also is the reason why we have that goofy thing of Housewives trying to make singles. Uh, Tardy for the party. She did Tardy for the party. Yes, yes. Come on. Come on. Genius. Well, unfortunately, you said the magic word, Phaedra, and now we have to talk about the traitors. Uh, oh, okay. not my Burgalicious. Bur- <laughs> not my Burgalicious. <laughs> she has a quote every week that I am obsessed with. Yes. Also, <laughs> so she really... Dan Giesling, who is a Big Brother legend, he was one of the traitors this season. That He uh, attempted to turn on the traitors once the heat was on him, and he tries to get Phaedra out. And Phaedra, you are very aware in that moment, is an attorney and turns it right back <laughs> on him, and he is absolutely decimated. It needs to be said about this show, though, it is still not a brilliant reality show. Like, watching the good people, the faithfuls, have to suss out the so-called traitors, they just still have nothing to go off of, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And, like, the whole business of... Once one trader is out, then it's likely that the traders will recruit another one. And it's just like that's there's no dramatic tension there for me. I feel like there needs to be mm-hmm. firm sides and also firm tasks for the traders to do and for the faithfuls to do. I think there, it just needs to be more like the mole to be a better show. Um, I love the casting. Yeah. The casting is great. And I love seeing a reality TV show staple. So it's cool to watch her and her like suspicious Jessica Beale looks. Um, <laughs> Squinting like Mr. Magoo. Yes, right. Every, <laughs> I will say that that has always sort of been, a, even with, there's been amazing seasons of the show. I think I just, the second season of the UK version just wrapped and it was amazing. And I hear Australia is amazing too. I want to get into that. Yeah. yeah. But there's still the basic problem that it's so slanted for the traders yeah. and it feels like hard as a faithful. And when you're killed and picked off, in a way that just feels sort of random and at the whim of the traders, it it feels like it's not evenly balanced. It's not and a what game. I do like a, yeah, no. Right, yeah. And, and what I like about the mole is that um, you're doing a quiz at least each week of like who you think the mole is. And if they stole that or some version of that, I think that there should be some sort of element where... Merit is a part of why you're eliminated. Yes. If you are in the bottom of people who sort of don't know who a traitor is, then you're, you're eligible to be murdered. Yeah. I think it's just it's way more of a game that you would play at a party than should be televised. That's just what I think about the game. It's It would be funner to play it. Yeah. Absolutely. The same way like Bodies, Bodies, Bodies or like Werewolf. These are games that we already play with our friends. Yeah. But if you filmed yourselves playing Bodies, 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 where's the tension in that? Yeah, no, there's none. There's none. A bit of a concern for me. Uh, I will continue watching. I will continue watching. But anyway. Oh, of course. I mean, the celebrities are delivering. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, that is our show this week. Shout out to the fucking Grammys for actually giving us something to fucking talk about this week. Definitely, and thank you to Juliet Binoche for even acknowledging us as human beings. It's really above and beyond. Uh, very shocking. Yeah. A, a thrilling moment for both of us to talk to her. We'll see you next week. Don't forget to follow Crooked Media on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. You can also subscribe to Keep It on YouTube for access to full episodes and other exclusive content. And if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a review. 
Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our producer is Chris Lord, and our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III, Louis Vertel, and Kendra James. Our digital team is Megan Patzel, Claudia Shang, and Rachel Gajewski. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to Matt DeGroote, David Tolles, Kyle Seglin, and Charlotte Landis for production support every week. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nuh-uh. Hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew. Grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.